Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. Blake Topmeyer here alongside John Adams. The transfer portal is closed to new addition. Teams can, can still add guys out of the portal, but for the most part, the winner player movement has died down and will stay that way until after spring practice when the portal reopens in May. John, this is our first year of having the portal windows. Uh, Last year, you could hop in the portal anytime you wanted, 365. This year, they went to those those dates. Uh, There's a start date and an end date. The winter portal closed at the end of last week. As I said, teams can still add guys who are currently in the portal, but most of the top talent from the portal has already been snatched up. It's You're kind of left with leftovers at this point. What do you think about shifting to this more window calendar uh, where you can't go in the portal anytime you want, but there's, there's more of a select period? I prefer the old one. Total freedom of movement. Uh, the wild, wild west, as it was called. And it's still pretty wild. I, I just thought that was more fun. It's just like... Anytime, any day you wake up, hey, look, we've got a new quarterback. Just they don't have a new quarterback. Yeah, just quit in the middle of the season or you have a bad day at spring practice. You slip Uh from one to two on the depth chart and you're gone. You know, you say, hey, coach demotes me to number two. I'm not coming to practice tomorrow. I'm I'm in the portal. Yeah, your your offensive coordinator is overly critical of your of your read on a series of spring practice plays. Then you just go, I'm out of here. See you. Have you ever done that, John, in, in your professional life? Have you ever just had a column really overly critiqued by an editor and you went home that night, you updated your resume, and boom, you were gone to a new newspaper within a couple weeks' time? Yeah, I did that all the time, but I didn't act on it. I was very strategic in it. I, I never tried to make an emotional decision. I filed that away and said, okay. That's that's what our relationship is like. Fine, I'll wait for the opportune time, and then I will then I will pull the trigger. But not now, in a in a moment of heated anger. I guess the difference was you didn't have to notify a compliance officer that you were updating your resume, so you could kind of do it on the sly. Whereas uh, college athletes have to notify a compliance officer to put their name in the portal. Yeah, and those change. It, it was I probably wouldn't do well in this transfer era because three different jobs I uh, initially turned down and accepted them later. So I was just really uncertain there, and you know I can be in our business. And uh, let's see, I think one I turned down, then accepted, then turned down again. That's Billy Donovan type stuff there. <laughs> John, let's get into this, and, and I want to touch on the, on the quarterbacks in particular. There was a lot of quarterback movement right before the finish line here at, at this winter portal window. So I want to touch on some of the additions teams have made and then also some teams uh, that maybe need to add a quarterback once the portal reopens to new entries in May. So let, let's start with the teams that have added. I'm going to go down a list here of a handful of quarterbacks that teams have grabbed out of the portal. And then I'd like you to say who you think maybe was the best get, the best addition out of this bunch. 
So let's start with uh, Missouri. Missouri got Jake Garcia, transfer from Miami. Kentucky added Devin Leary, transfer from North Carolina State. Ole Miss got not one but two transfer quarterbacks, which is interesting because Ole Miss returns its starter in Jackson Dart, (laughs) but it added Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State and Walker Howard from LSU. Mississippi State added Mike Wright of Vanderbilt, and Florida added Graham Mertz of Wisconsin. So that's what, half dozen guys there? I can count as I read, half dozen. Probably missing somebody, I'm sure. But of those six quarterbacks that I named, who do you think maybe has the most exciting upside or can make the the biggest change or uh, just has your eye the most of, of those six? Well, I thought that was a really good get for Kentucky. Devin Leary of NC State, he was hurt last year, but he's put up some big numbers through the years. And also when you you factor in the need, if Kentucky hadn't acquired him, I have no idea who its quarterback would be, but I would question his competence. So that was almost a that that was the most clutch acquisition, I thought. Uh, and he's a proven quarterback. In fact, I wonder why maybe some other SEC schools, uh, i.e. Alabama, didn't make a push for him. Uh, or maybe uh, Lane Kiffin could have added him as well and just had a foursome, uh, his final four in quarterback competition. I also like what Lane Kiffin did, although I wonder how this could play out in spring. But uh, Spencer Sanders has done some really good things at Oklahoma State. Not not upper echelon stats, but he's played a lot. He started four years, played in a lot of big games, clutch, had some clutch performances. I think Walker Howard uh, from LSU, that he could be the guy. He and he came in with a lot of uh a lot of acclaim. He hasn't played yet, but uh yeah, he has really good potential. So those are those are two that uh quickly come to mind uh michael wright uh leaving vanderbilt from mississippi state I, i'm not sure what's going on there um going from the air raid maybe to the just uh wildcat raid and just uh run a lot of teams down uh, just as an overview those were the ones that really i guess stuck out to me yeah i want to touch more on on old miss john because it's it is pretty interesting what's going on there. A lot of times when you see these portal additions, it's at programs where they've lost their starter and they really need um, someone to come in and, and take the reins. I think Kentucky's a great example of that. Devin Leary will come in and and almost certainly be the, the front runner, the, the candidate to uh, replace Will Levis. Devin Leary didn't come to Kentucky to sit the bench. This is a guy that threw 35 touchdown passes for NC State in 2021, he came in to grab the reins from Will Levis and be the starter. Um, And then the other portal ads you sometimes see are sort of like into the depth chart. Uh, We're we're, we're kind of thin at the position, but we bring back our starter. Um, So we need someone as our backup or our third string guy. And I I think Mike Wright from, from Vanderbilt sort of profiles as this. Mike Wright's probably better than an end of the depth chart guy. He started four of Vanderbilt's five wins last season. He's a good runner. Um, you know, I think he has a ceiling as a passer, but he's coming in and, and unless something uh, shocking happens, Will Rogers is still going to be the starting quarterback at Mississippi state, but you needed a backup. And so you brought in 
Mike Wright. But then there's the situation at Ole Miss where they bring back their starter and they did need more depth. Luke Altmeyer, the backup, transferred. And then Kincaid Dent recently transferred as well. So they needed more quarterbacks in that room. But they didn't just bring in guys that I think are brought there to be the backups. I, I think they now have a three-deep quarterback competition going into the spring with Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, and Walker Howard. And I think, for the most part, that's a good thing. I like what Lane Kiffin's done there. He said, you know, going 8-5, and five, uh, mediocrity won't stand. Jackson Dart was, was good this year, but not great. I, I didn't think he read the field all that well at times. He was a good runner, gritty guy, took a lot of hits, uh, but threw 11 interceptions, second most in the SEC. So I thought maybe, hey, Jackson Dart can, can improve from year one to year two in Lane Kiffin's system, and maybe that'll still be the case. But maybe Lane Kiffin sees something else and says, eh, is there a ceiling on this guy? Maybe we have to go get better elsewhere. Add Spencer Sanders, who, as you said, has four years of starting experience, a dual-threat guy. And Walker Howard was apparently such an attractive prospect that Brian Kelly was out doing a ridiculous dance with him to, to get him. So that, that, to me, we don't see that that often. Usually programs are bringing in guys to be their, their, their clear new starter, or they bring in guys and you think, yeah, this is a nice depth guy, but he's not going to unseat the starter. At Ole Miss, I think they've brought in two guys that can put heat on the starter, and, and one of them could perhaps unseat him. Yeah, that's a really unusual situation. Great salesmanship by Lane Kiffin. Um, to me, that's a uh, billboard-sized message to Jackson Dart. If I'm if I'm Jackson Dart, I'm looking for another move. I guess he could. Yeah, they see you're allowed one transfer, but we're seeing guys just transfer. What about JT Daniels, a former USC, former Georgia, former West Virginia court? I forgot where he landed last, but uh, he's gone. Uh, how, how do you transfer that many times? I don't know. Well, he's a graduate transfer. Those graduate he's, transfers can just keep moving. The un, the undergrads are the ones that are supposed to encounter problems if they transfer more than once. And and Jackson Dart's just going into his third year of college, so he's already transferred from Southern Cal. Conceivably, he's not a graduate yet. But there's always the waiver option. You you can always try to pursue a waiver, even if you're 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 an undergraduate transferring for the second time. And We've seen the NCAA in the past be generous with those waivers. Allegedly, they're going to tighten the screws on that process, but uh, I don't know about that. The waiver thing seems to be a, a runaway train. But yeah, I mean, I I see this. I I I think I like it, John, because I think overall, if you were to look at Ole Miss's quarterback depth chart today as compared to November, I think I like the depth chart today far better than what they had in November. You know, in November. At the end of the season, they would have had Dart, Luke Altmeyer, and Kincaid Dent. You compare that going into the spring, and you have Dart, Spencer Sanders, and Walker Howard. I think that's a much better, much deeper, much more talented depth chart now than what you had at the end of last season. Uh, but it better work. You better not chase Jackson Dart off the roster and then be left with an inferior version of Jackson Dart, which I think Spencer Sanders might be. He is a guy with a lot of starts, but Spencer Sanders, I, I, I would have rather had Dart, Jackson Dart as my starting quarterback last year than, than Spencer Sanders. Now, I know last year was not his best season, 
Uh, had some better years earlier in his career. Much like Dart, he is a good runner. Uh, but I'm not sure Spencer Sanders is a clear upgrade over Jackson Dart. I, I am intrigued by Walker Howard, a guy with four years of eligibility left and you know was a Bollywood recruit at LSU. He could not only help you now, but help you into the future. But I don't know. I, I think this, I, ultimately, I think this is a good thing. You're improving your roster. You're not contented to just add guys who are warm bodies and, uh, you know, are, are, are one step above walk-ons that are just filling out your roster. You're adding frontline power five quarterbacks. But like I said, you, you, you have to be careful there of not scaring off your incumbent and then backsliding at the position or, or you look really foolish and, and hurt your team in the process. Yeah, I, I I look at Spencer Sanders. He played hurt last year. In fact, he's renowned throughout his careers, uh, fighting through injuries, playing. He's one of those uh, team kind of guys who uh, the other players rally around him. He plays really hard. So I, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. I think Kiffin must have seen something in him. I don't think he would just add him unless he thought he can be my starter. To me, he must have thought, I think he's moved on from Jackson Dart. I really do. Uh, I think he saw what he he had with Jackson Dart and said, I'd rather have Spencer Sanders, most recent stats aside, and uh, maybe you need to tweet to let him offer Lane some advice, tell him I think Jackson Dart still should be the guy and maybe you could influence him. But right now, I think he's moved on from Jackson Dart. Well, I didn't say Dart should still be the guy. I, I'm just more intrigued by Walker Howard, I think, than Spencer Sanders. I mean, you're right. Spencer Sanders has played through injuries in his career. But I'm not sure I believe a guy who was dealing with a shoulder injury as recently as November is going to unseat in, in an, a returning starter who's a really good runner in Jackson Dart. I, I think if there's someone with higher upside than Jackson Dart, I guess I just I think it's Walker Howard. Um, and I think Spencer Sanders is, you know, kind of an, another older version of of Jackson Dart, and I'm not I'm not convinced he's he's better. But the 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 other situation within the state of Mississippi is interesting too, John. At Mississippi State, you have Will Rogers with three years of experience operating the air raid, but um, you know, of course, Mike Leach in December uh, died of heart complications. They elevate Zach Arnett, the defensive coordinator, to coach. He's got to make a decision at that point. Does he continue forward with the air raid, or does he go out and do it his own way? Well, all indications are he's doing the latter. He's going his own way. He's hired Kevin Barbie as his offensive coordinator. Kevin Barbie most recently was at Appalachian State. Much more balance in that offense. They hand the ball off uh, much more frequently than what Mississippi State was doing in the air raid. That Appalachian State offense was very explosive, big plays. That's not what the air raid was for Mississippi State. It was, you know, smaller bites uh, at the apple. Kevin Barbie's not from the air raid tree. He's from the Jim McElwain coaching coaching tree. He worked under him at Colorado State in Florida, became offensive coordinator at Central Michigan. So it seems as if even though Will Rogers is coming back as an air raid quarterback, Mississippi State appears to be headed in a non-air raid direction. I'm okay with that. I, I don't know that you have to, you know, if you're a new coach, I don't know just because you have a quarterback coming back, you have to keep playing the same system, particularly when that that quarterback only has one year left, like Will Rogers does. 
But again, it's a gamble. You know Will Rogers can operate the air raid. Um, maybe this raises the ceiling for the offense, incorporating more run game, taking more downfield shots, trying to be more explosive. But, uh, you know, you're, you're pivoting away from a known commodity to a bit of the unknown by, by moving away from letting Will Rogers run the air raid. What did you think about that transition? I thought it was a huge mistake. Uh, you've got one of the most statistically successful quarterbacks in SEC history, and you've got a team an offense at least that is accustomed to the air raid. It takes a little bit, a little bit of time for receivers and everybody to get a firm grasp of that offense. And I think they have it now. What I would have done is I would have brought in an, an air raid type guy and, uh, and kept going. I think that would make for a much smoother transition. I think this is a mistake. I think it could be disastrous really. Wow. Okay. So I'm saying, Go be your own man. You got one shot to, d- to do this your own way. One chance at a honeymoon season. Go out and do your own thing. Get your own guys in. And, John, you couldn't be in more disagreement with me. You've, you've called it a huge mistake. You're probably right. Well, uh, I've got four words for, for Zach Arnett, who's done a really nice job with the defense there. And maybe he would like a more defensive-friendly offense. But uh, my four words are last in the West. Wow. All right. So from nine and four to last in the West. Well, I guess we did have him at 11 in our power rankings on last week's podcast. And I was the one fighting to get him to 11. I know I I yielded to you on that. You are the main host. So I yielded to you, but I would have probably had Mississippi state lower. All right, John. So we've touched on, on the guys coming in, but that still leaves a couple SEC programs, I think, that may benefit from adding a transfer quarterback after spring practice. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that it behooves any SEC schools from grabbing someone out of the portal now. I think if you're still in the portal at this point, toward the end of January, there's a reason you're still in the portal. Um, so I think it, probably the better play is to, for any any other SEC programs looking to a quarterback, go into May and try to be, you know, the the hottest option for a transfer QB, but what programs are you looking at that you think, I think these couple SEC schools still need to add someone out of the portal at quarterback? Well, the main one is pretty obvious. That's Alabama. I I just didn't think we saw enough from Jalen Milrow to, to believe that he can run a, a really balanced uh, pro style offense. Um, with uh with the same with anywhere near the production that the previous Alabama quarterbacks we go back to Jalen Hurts, uh, Tua Tonga Valoa, uh Matt Jones, and most recently Bryce Young, probably the best of them all. And if you want a quarterback like that, <laughs> you need to look elsewhere. I don't know if you can find a Bryce Young, but I think you might could find better than what Alabama has. The question I have is, what about Ty Simpson? He was a freshman, didn't really play much last season. So could he eventually be the guy now that he has more experience and goes through spring ball? I just don't see Alabama's offense uh, succeeding with, uh, with what it has right now. And I want to get into Auburn, too, in a moment, John. But but first on Alabama, because I think it's good that we we start there with the, the high-profile exit, obviously, of Bryce Young to the NFL. And, and Alabama's probably going to come into this season as a top-five team. 
Alabama always has playoff expectations, so that's a good place to start. Here's my theory on Alabama, John, and it's not as if Nick Saban's in my ear telling me this, but you know, at first I, I thought, how in the world did Alabama not add a transfer quarterback in this in this winter cycle? Here's my theory with that. They have, I believe, four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster going into the spring. They have Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson. And then in this recruiting class, they signed two quarterbacks. They signed Eli Holsting and, and Dylan Lonergan. My thought is if, if they go out and add a transfer quarterback in this winter period, they're chasing off one, if not two, of those guys into the portal. Now, if you know you don't have a starting quarterback on your roster, then the heck with it. You, you, you start adding in the winter and you say, if you want to leave, leave, because we have to add. Um, and maybe if there was such a can't-miss prospect in the portal, maybe Alabama would have done that. But my thought is perhaps they want to go into the spring with these four guys they have, get a look throughout spring practice and see, are they comfortable with, say, Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson as their starting quarterback? If so, you identify a starter coming out of the spring, then maybe try to add a portal guy, but you're okay losing someone off your roster who's not exiting the spring as your QB1. But before you add, maybe you want to let this four-man competition play out in the spring before you're chasing anybody into the portal. Do you think there's something to be said for that, or do you think Alabama made a mistake not adding someone here in the winter? Well, I mean, Nick Saban, his offense coordinator, Bill O'Brien, know what they have and know what these – but if you're relying on an incoming freshman, I mean, that's a fair point. It's a good point. But I think it's a mistake. I saw enough of Jalen Milrow to think he's not an upper echelon SEC quarterback. You're not going to beat out Georgia. Heck, you're not going to beat out LSU with him at quarterback. LSU probably has two better quarterbacks than him. Not probably. It does. Now, but let me put it. it let me put it to you this way, John, because okay. we we can't push someone into the portal necessarily. That that's not there. <laughs> <laughs> of of the six guys that SEC teams added, would you have would you rather have any of the? I mean, you're not you wouldn't rather have Graham Mertz at Florida than Jalen Milrow. I'm assuming you wouldn't rather have uh, I I don't know Mike Wright. I know you're you're good friends with the Wright family, but I, I'm assuming you wouldn't rather have Mike Wright, Mississippi State's new backup, than Jalen Milrow. So so who would you rather have? You know, we can't push. Um, someone into the portal necessarily that that's happy where they are. If Drake may was in the portal, I'm sure Alabama would have been among the contenders, top contenders for Drake may, but he didn't go in the portal. So of the, of the guys that went places, particularly in the sec, would you rather have one or two of them than, than Jalen Milrow? Cause if you add one, you might scare Milrow off. Uh, maybe Alabama believes that Jalen Milrow is, will develop as a passer. I guess that's a possibility, but I would rather have Devin Leary that went to Kentucky. He really had a productive 2021 season. You mentioned the, the 35 touchdown passes. I mean, do you see Jalen Milrow throwing 35 touchdown passes? And let's let's uh, recalibrate that because he's in the SEC, a tougher league, and maybe ratchet that down to 26 or 27. I, I would still take that over what I see is on Alabama's depth chart. I'm, you know, I I just think, and would he have gone to Alabama? I mean, why not? 
Yeah, but he knows he's going to be the starter at Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, if you want to go somewhere and you know you're the starter, sure. I mean, Spencer Sanders could have done that. Walker Howard could have done that. So it's really, it's really interesting how Nick Saban, his success in the last five, six years has been based on great quarterback play. And in the past, he kind of had more what we call our the cliche of game managers. And he realized he had to have a top flight quarterback to win a national championship. I think Clemson's Deshaun Watson helped convince him of that. Uh, Joe Burrow did a pretty good job of that at LSU. So I don't see how Nick Saban can look at that depth chart and say, we can win a national championship, which is what Alabama is all about. If we can win a national championship with this guy, but again, maybe one of those freshmen, freshmen will be a superstar. Maybe they, I, I don't pretend to know a lot about recruits or maybe Ty Simpson, maybe he could be the guy. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the play for Alabama. We, I just don't know about that. See, that's, and again, this is just a theory, but that, that's my theory is they don't want to lose Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson until they figure out this spring who's better in line to be their starting quarterback. And then they tap that person as QB1 out of the spring. They go out a transfer to compete with whoever wins that competition between Milrow and Simpson. And if the other one wants to transfer, so be it. You've already identified your top internal option in the spring. You let the other guy transfer if he wants and you bring somebody else in out of the portal in May. That's, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that's the that has to be the argument. Uh, otherwise, what was Alabama doing not adding anybody this winter? Now, Auburn's the other one, John. They have Robbie Ashford coming back, who was the starter at the end of last season. Excellent runner. I think a very unrefined passer, maybe, is, is putting it kindly. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, we, we saw some promise from him. He made some... Good plays, both with his legs and with his arm. More with his legs than his arm, but but he made some a few good passes too in the Iron Bowl. But was really good as a runner. Hugh Freeze is coming in, known for developing quarterbacks. Maybe he can turn Robbie Ashford into into a more polished passer than he was this year. But I still think Auburn has to add somebody out of the portal to either unseat Robbie Ashford or at the very least, you know, give you a look alongside Robbie Ashford. And I would have thought Spencer Sanders. Would have been a good fit for Auburn. I know he was linked with them. Maybe Lane Kiffin's addition of Spencer Sanders was playing a little defense <laughs> as well as, as deepening his own competition and keeping Spencer Sanders away from Auburn. Uh, but I, I would put them right up there with Alabama, John, maybe even more so of, of needing somebody in the second portal period when it opens in May because uh, I just don't think you can go into the season with Robbie Ashford as your starter and not really much behind him because they still have TJ Finley on the on the roster but everything you read coming out of Auburn is uh, it seems like folks expect TJ Finley to himself enter the transfer portal at, at some point or move to tight end the big guy <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, Robbie Ashford um, I thought improved over the course of the season as a passer he was better at the end of the season and and kind of changed my opinion. I saw no hope for him as an SEC quarterback, just a great athlete playing quarterback without the, or as you said, not as refined as a passer. Okay, that was very kind. However, at the end of the season, I mean, I saw him, 
it wasn't a consistent body of work, but I saw him make some plays, some big time throws. I think you remember the great remembering the great throws, John, and remember and and not remembering the three incompletions in between those great throws because in the final four weeks of the season, uh-huh. Robbie Ashford's completion percentage was about forty three percent, low low forty percent in the final month of the season. That totally refutes everything I just said. So I I take all that back, and like I said, he really didn't improve over the course of the season, which raises my level of concern. Uh, no, but he, he did make some great throws, and those have a tendency to get stuck in the brain. There was one throw he made in the Iron Bowl. I can't remember who the, the target was on that one, but it was a touchdown pass to the corner of the end zone. It was just a beauty. And then he threw about five incompl- incompletions right after that. So um, who knows? Maybe he can get a few more of those those beautiful throws and a few fewer incompletions under under Hugh Freeze. But yeah, I, I don't know. There, there's going to have to be a lot of improvement from him as a passer. Uh, I mean, the guy threw seven interceptions and only completed 49% of his passes last season. And as I said, that he was in the, the 30s and 40% even, even in the month of November. So, so he actually got worse statistically. His best game was against Arkansas, uh, the final game of the Brian Harson era. He, that, was, that was when he was at his best as a passer. He threw for almost 300 yards in that game. Hmm. Do you want to save that video, Brian Harson's farewell performance? No, his okay. Brian Harson's farewell should have been uh, probably last February. Uh, if not, then when they barely beat San Jose State in week two of this season. But we won't get into to no. all that. That's been well documented. Uh, John, before we go here, I want to touch uh, on, a, on a different topic. Um, we, we've discussed this a little bit in the past, the coaching raises that that went around in the SEC in the last uh, few weeks or really last couple months, I guess, it all kind of started with Eli Drinkwitz, a, a subject we've touched on. Uh, Mr. Drink out there at Missouri, folks at Missouri were so impressed by his losing season that Drinkwitz is now making $6 million <laughs> this year. And, and of course, when you raise the floor, um, that I think is is uh is cause for everybody else in the league to say hey if Eli Drinkwitz is making 6 million I need a raise too. And some so some of the folks that got a raise in the last uh couple months you have Shane Beamer in South Carolina going from 2.75 million which you or I would love to be making 2.75 million but in the SEC uh that's nothing. He was he was down there at the bottom of the SEC in salary and he went 8 and 5 this year so of course he was going to get a raise. Well, he skyrocketed all the way past Mr. Drink, and he's at $6.125 million. Mark Stoops got himself a raise of nearly uh, $2 million, and on the heels of Kentucky's 7-6 and six season, ooh, Mark Stoops is now up to $8.6 million in 2023. And Lane Kiffin parlayed himself his 8-5 uh, and five record this year, stumbled as the competition stiffened, down the stretch, but he had that uh, that heavy flirtation with Auburn, and Lane Kiffin was able to turn his seven point two five million dollar salary into a nine million dollar salary uh, coming into uh, what will this be his uh, is year three or year four for him at Ole Miss? John, it's year, it's year four, four, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Time so year, flies. Yeah, time flies. Lane Kiffin's now nine million dollar man. And year four at, at Ole Miss. Which one of these raises beyond 
Drinkwitz. We've already covered that ad nauseum. But <laughs> which one of these other ones Baffling. are are most uh, eyebrow raising, most shocking, jarring to you when you when you see these figures of the guys I mentioned, Beamer, Stoops, and Kiffin? Well, the two that stand out to me are Stoops and Beamer. Lane Kiffin had leverage. I think we're pretty certain he was in the running for that Auburn job and perhaps Auburn would have hired him. Um, but Ole yeah. Miss. I, I think Lane had at least one foot out the door. Yes. Yeah. Ole Miss stepped in and, and gave him more money. So is he overpaid? Sure he is. He hasn't had won an SEC West championship. Uh, did make it to a New Year's Six Bowl. So that gives him a little more a little more credibility as a coach, and he has a really good track record. Uh, at, at Even in his one season at Tennessee and and with an, a probation plague program at Southern California. So you can make a case, at least for Kiffin, in today's crazy spending market. But Mark Stoops, where was he going? Was the NFL beckoning? Uh, would Nebraska prefer him to Matt Rule? I don't think so. Um, so I I couldn't understand why you would make that you would make that call. It, give him a few hundred thousand more dollars. That tells me that Kentucky was concerned that he was he had something in the works. Now that could be great salesmanship on its his agent's part. I just can't see, though, putting him at that level. I mean, he just went seven and six. Two 10 win seasons really stand out in Kentucky, certainly. However, when you look at those seasons and you factor in the schedules, a nine conference schedules have been very conducive to 4 and 0. So um, I think that was uh, throwing money away. Not throwing it away at an Eli Drinkowitz rate, but throwing it away nonetheless. Uh, Then Shane Beamer. Yeah, certainly I would give him a raise based on today's market, but all the way to $6 million, I don't get that. I mean, you know, he finished – South Carolina had a puzzling season. Uh, Had some nice wins. He did that even in his first season, but more so in his second season – kind of just awash in mediocrity, then all of a sudden he trounces Tennessee 63-38, to comes back and beats Clemson the next week, scares Notre Dame in the bowl game, and most of that had to do with Spencer Rattler, the transfer quarterback from Oklahoma. But before that, he had a run-oriented offense, and with his two running backs hurt, he went to the passing game and put the offense all around Spencer Rattler. I was puzzled why he didn't do that sooner. And then the way the season played out kind of backed up my my theory there. So I I just, yeah, he's he's recruiting well. I like what he's doing overall. But that kind of raise, it just, I don't see how it's justifiable. And, and most of these raises aren't, frankly, and, yeah. and and so much of this comes from and 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 you've said it before, John, on this podcast. The biggest mismatch in college sports is an agent going up against an athletic director in the negotiating room. And many of these coaches uh, have the same agent. It's it's Jimmy Sexton Incorporated. <laughs> That's not what the agency's actually called, but it's Jimmy Sexton's agency. He is the agent, by the way, 
his agency is for Eli Drinkwitz. So he gets Mr. Drink up to, to $6 million and then, oh, he can use that to get all of his other clients raises as well because he walks, you know, he's convincing Missouri that Eli Drinkwitz is worth $6 million. And then he goes to everybody else and says, well, if Eli Drinkwitz is making $6 million, you got to give this guy a raise here, you know? And, and so I guess I kind of, I don't know, none of this money makes sense, but I guess it makes sense from, from the standpoint, the, the only way you can make it make sense is a, it's, ADs aren't spending their money. That's the difference between college and the pros, right? The pros, you're spending your money. You're some rich guy or gal owning a team. It's still your money that you're spending. And athletic directors, university presidents, it's not their money. Um, so it's a lot easier to spend money when it's not your money, A. B, when you're not paying the workforce, that leaves you with a lot of extra money left over to give it to the CEO or to build new swimming pools and nap pods and barber shops and your team facilities. I mean, there's only so many barber shops you can build in your team facilities. So when all this media rights money is flowing in and it's going to be flooding in at an even more exorbitant rate with these new deals, what do you do? You give your coaches who just went seven and six a big raise, I guess. Um, and, and so beyond the raises, John, you know, because this, this money's a runaway train for coaching salaries, um, and, and Shane Beamer, honestly, if the going rate for, for Eli Drinkwitz is, is $6 million, then Shane Beamer should be making $6.1. Um, now, I don't know that South Carolina should have let itself be cornered by Missouri's bad deal. But you know what? That's, that's the way it goes, it seems, in college football. They're, they're not negotiating against the idea that Shane Beamer is going to leave for someone else. It's all they get worried because it looks bad that Eli Drinkwitz is making more than their guy. So they got to, they got to bring six, you know, Shane Beamer to over $6 million. So be it. My thing is though. Now, if you're Mark Stoops and you're now making $8.6 million, seven and six should no longer be acceptable. If you're Lane Kiffin now making $9 million, losing five of your last six games should no longer be acceptable. And if you're Shane Beamer now in the $6 million plus category, we can't bend over backwards celebrating an eight and five season. That now has to be the floor at South Carolina. That's my thing is if you're going to give all these guys raises and bring them into the land of the, um, you know, the Ryan days of the world, Ryan day was making less than, than $9 million last year. Mark Stoops is now in the salary range of where Ryan day was last year. So if you're going to be paid like Ryan day at Ohio state, then the expectations at Kentucky have to be more than than seven and six, particularly when you have a first round NFL draft pick at quarterback like Will Levis will be. Yeah, I, I think Jimmy Sexton, um, his uh, his sales pitch to new potential clients. I mean, you you should have a poster that says he made Eli Drinkowitz a six million dollar man. That's your sales pitch. Think what he can do for you. So I do think it raises uh, it raises expectations. Uh, it has to. How can it not? Um, what was and also Mark Stoops has been in Kentucky a long time now. I guess he's so we look at Mark Stoops and we say yes he's you always say this look what he's done in Kentucky how bad Kentucky has been at times and and what he's done and compare the two. But at some point, you have to look and say, okay, this is what Kentucky is. Mark Stoops' salary keeps escalating. 
shouldn't the one loss record reflect that too? I mean, what was uh, good for Kentucky three years ago may not be good enough for Kentucky in 2023, 2024. And, and think about this too, Blake, where the expectations are raised and you got Texas and Oklahoma coming into this league. I think they're coming into this league, but I just, it just seems in the distant future. I think it's 2025, but I was always under the impression, well, they'll get this done sooner, but they haven't. But with Texas and Oklahoma, the way those schools recruit, uh, I know we're not sold on either coach right now. They're just getting started there, so to speak. But yeah, the way they recruit, this league is not going to get worse in 2025. And if you're a middle-of-the-road program now or slightly above middle-of-the-road, you're at risk of dropping down. I mean, I don't think Kentucky can recruit with Texas and Oklahoma. So yeah, you I, could, I, I think the peak for Kentucky, John, uh, may be behind them. Those two 10-win seasons, that may have been the peak for, for Kentucky, and those should be celebrated seasons. But that may have been their peak, particularly, as you say, with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league. And and so now you got a nine million dollar coach at a school where seven and six and going to a bowl game is still a pat on the back. I mean, if Mark Stoops is the only guy that can get Kentucky to a bowl game, well then you ought to just shut down the program. <laughs> you know, if 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 you if if he's the only guy that can get you to a bowl game, just just shut her down, right? Um, if you got to pay a coach nine million dollars to just get to some low level bowl, just just go ahead and shut her down and reapply that money to your basketball program. John Calipari would love that, right? He'd have all the practice facilities he wanted then. Wouldn't well, have a problem with that. Well, here's how it shapes up for Kentucky. If you want, you can schedule pretty much four wins unless in the non-conference, unless Louisville starts, takes a leap forward. It has in the past, but right now it doesn't have Lamar Jackson at quarterback anymore. Hold on, John. Who's Louisville? It's Louisville. Louisville. Okay. Louisville. Uh, Louisville, uh, which is de-emphasizing basketball now, so maybe they're putting everything into football. Um, but you got a chance for a 4-0 season. Then you beat Vanderbilt. That's five wins. you got to win one more game. You get to a bowl, and you win it. Get to the right bowl. Uh, you're 7-6. and six. And... I think there's some other guys that can do that. Maybe maybe we're not giving Mark Stoops enough credit, but we've given him credit in the past. It's not as though we're writing him off as, uh, yeah, you know, a, a bad coach or anything. He's certainly improved Kentucky football. But but they but they lost to Vanderbilt at home in November, John. That, that's my yeah, thing. You, you're not, yeah. Your new $9 million coach just lost yeah. to Vanderbilt at home in November. At what other place would that be acceptable? At what other place would it be acceptable that your $9 million coach lost to the doors? Maybe I mean, if Florida, maybe. Well, yeah, at least Billy Napier's not yet making $9 million. <laughs> no, he's not, is he? Yeah, uh, not. No, that, that's a great point. Um, yeah, that, uh, that shouldn't that, a loss to Vanderbilt, shouldn't it veto any raise? You, that that should a, be in the contract. Yes. Any, any loss to Vanderbilt, whatever you were prom, whatever raise you were promised, now goes to a new swimming pool. Uh, we're putting in a 
a new dunk tank into the team facility and and the head coach is the first one up on the up on the board in the duck in the dunk tank i would uh i would also have that you know you have a sort of a an integrity clause in contract if you're you can be fired for cause mm-hmm. and usually that's an off the field issue you yeah, the moral uh, moral turpitude that's the only yeah, time you ever see turpitude. that phrase used yeah you're you're carrying on uh uh, not so discreetly an affair with a, a volleyball player uh, at the university or a staff worker. Uh, those are the kind of things that come to mind. But I also think the stipulation be, should be that that for cause should be a loss to Vanderbilt. You don't, you don't have to fire them, but that gives you an option to get rid of the guy without paying him anything. Before we go, though, John, I mean, you've been – We've both been beaten up on Vanderbilt here. I would like you to have an opportunity to say what you really think of of the Commodores before we head out the door here. Because, I mean, you've just been beating them over the head. I mean, a firing for cause for losing for Vanderbilt, no buyout. You know, I was going to say no raise if you lose to Vanderbilt. You're now saying you should be able to be fired for cause for Vanderbilt. That, that's awfully hard on the one-time women's bowling champions from Nashville. I give Clark Lee tremendous credit for winning two SEC games. I really wonder what was going on, going on with those two programs he defeated at the time. But nonetheless, two wins after a 20-something, 26-game losing streak. I lose track of Vanderbilt's SEC losing streaks. Um, but uh, that said, I thought Vanderbilt in its 56 to nothing loss to Tennessee to close out the season was so typical of the program's history. Just when there's a modicum of optimism, a sense of hope, uh, perhaps better things to come with two SEC, Vanderbilt has a horrible habit of just going belly up. And it did that against his. That's one of the worst performances I've ever seen by a Vanderbilt team. You want to hear the silver lining, John? Sure. Venerable Vanderbilt Stadium, place you love, is under renovation this offseason. It's going to become even better. Wow, they're going to have uh, stronger popcorn boxes. I hope so. In the press box. Yeah. It's a product worthy of the popcorn, and we hope you thought this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered was as well. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening.